You are listening to the Family Business Podcast, the podcast aimed at delivering insights to help your family business thrive. I'm your host, Russ Hayworth, and each week I'll be bringing you interviews from family businesses and their advisors from all over the world. So without further ado, let's get on with the show. Hello and welcome to this week's show. We will be interviewing Ken McCracken from KPMG this week on the subject of succession planning, which uh, obviously is a topic that the vast majority of family businesses will come across at some stage. Um, Ken is very well known and very well respected in the family business field. And KPMG have asked just to add a slight caveat to the beginning of the interview That is, the views and opinions expressed herein are those of the interviewee and do not necessarily represent the views and opinions of KPMG UK LLP. Um, KPMG are obviously a large company. Um, They need to make sure that uh, their brand is being protected, so um, we're very happy to to add that caveat in. Uh, I'm sure you agree the interview with Ken is great. We we talk about a wide range of subjects around succession planning. So without further ado, I will pass you over to the interview. So hello and welcome to the Family Business Podcast. I'm your host, Russ Hayworth. And today I am joined by Ken McCracken from KPMG. Um, I'll let Ken introduce himself and explain his role in just a moment. Um, But the topic of today's show is um, loosely titled succession planning. So we're going to look at some of the the what, the when and the why when it comes to succession planning. Um, And this is an area that Ken has uh, extensive experience in. Um, So firstly, Ken, welcome to the show. Thanks, Russ. Delighted to be here. Um, and as I say, you, you work for, for KPMG, but um, you, you've had a, a career in advising family businesses. So perhaps you can give our audience uh, a bit of a background as to how you've come to, to do what you're doing today. Okay, well, uh, I was first introduced to the world of family business back in the mid-90s. Uh, when I was involved in helping establish the first university-based education programme for family businesses in the United Kingdom. Uh, Having learned that there was a a lot of new information and ideas around how families can deal with things like succession and governance, um, we started to uh, provide education to families and then families were asking for some independent help with Uh, navigating those discussions. So over time, uh, I moved from my profession of origin, which was law, to becoming a consultant. And I've had various roles, but uh, I'm very happy to be here at KPMG, heading up a team of uh, consultants across the United Kingdom that are working with families who are facing these challenges. Great stuff. And obviously the the, um, family business consultancy role, you're exposed to all sorts of different um, challenges that family businesses are facing. Um, One such challenge that we are talking about today is succession planning. Um, In your experience, what are the main barriers to businesses beginning that process of succession planning? Well, I think three things spring to mind. Um, uh, It's general comments. I think understandably families are very anxious 
uh, about embarking in these discussions, which can be sensitive. And they are worried as to what will happen and what the outcome will look like. So I can understand that. Um, I think most of them will lack information about what are the contemporary ideas around transitions and governance. Uh, so if we could just do more to access these uh, ideas and this information, it might help to uh, tamp down the anxiety and make the way into the conversation a bit easier for them. I do think you benefit immensely in these types of conversations about uh, in having a clear process that will set out the flow of the conversation and uh, make sure that everything is dealt with but dealt with in, as it were, the right way. Uh, without that, I think some of these conversations can go off like a box of fireworks. Mm-hmm. And that takes me back to my first com- uh, comment, and that's the type of thing that families fear. So although they know that they need to deal with this, um, for the moment it can feel, uh, for many of them, more risky to try to start than it is to just leave it a bit longer and leave it a bit longer. Yeah. Um, but the good news is for families, let's not uh, m- m- miss this point, uh, Ross, that the information is out there and there's good ideas around how families can deal with this. So I'd encourage families to go and find that and uh, make the best use of it. Absolutely. And I, I think you, you um, hit the nail on the head there where, where you were saying, uh, almost the the fear of the process uh, makes it easier to put it off than it is to um, to start those conversations. But but in our experience, those those conversations have to take place at some point, um, and perhaps the the earlier they're started, the better. Um, would you agree in terms of when these discussions should be started? Well, yeah, I think we can. Uh also straight to the view, if you start early, it gives you more time. These conversations can take time. We're dealing with fundamental changes in people's lifestyles, so you don't want to have to hurry that. But I suppose the the realist or the pragmatist in me is that um, if life is going well, the business is doing well, the family are happy, why would you want to upset everybody by starting these conversations yeah. early? Um, I think what, what, what we find is that there's a, the best time to start the conversations, if I could be so bold as to describe it in that way, is when you have both generations facing up to a, a kind of generational change. You know, that stage in midlife or early a- adulthood. Mm-hmm. And in later life, when you're aware that change is going to happen and uh, you've got to move on to the next stage of your life, if, if I could put it that way. And in families, you know, the next stage of your life could be bound up in the lives of your relatives. Simple example. Uh, If I uh, want to become the next chief executive, I can't uh, fulfill my ambition, and I feel ready to do that. Uh, But I can't fulfill my ambition until my father or mother steps aside. Mm -hmm. So when what you want in life is bound up in the decisions that are going to be made by your loved ones, that becomes very complex. But if both generations are kind of at that stage where they're asking the questions, then they're open and amenable to maybe now there's a good, being a good time to actually start the conversation. 
Yeah. So farmers are at that stage, seize the moment, because uh, otherwise people will make decisions. If I can't become the next chief exec, I'll make another decision, and maybe that will take me in another direction, and there'll never be another opportunity. Yeah. So for that, when people at that age and stage try and deal with it, um, and therefore, I, and you'll find that the conversations tend to go a bit better because people are ready. Mm. And in um, uh, your experience, do, do people recognise when they're at that stage? Because I can imagine, um, certainly with, with uh, some of the family businesses we work with, that the next generation um, can feel um, more ready than the uh, perhaps the departing generation to, to have those conversations, um, wh- whether that's a perception or whether that's in, in reality that they are ready or, or they just feel they are. Um, but, but is there a, a trigger that can can highlight that? Well, I think I, yeah, I think the I think you know we are we are dealing with a, uh, some demographic challenges at the moment that have not been there for previous generations. Simple people are living longer, mm-hmm. so and people are having children at different stages. So the the demographic in a family uh, between the generations will have enormous impact on when the conversations can start, uh, when they will go well. Uh, and, you know, there are, and I, I'm very respectful of this, there are people in what we'll call the senior generation who just want life to go on. They're loving it. They cannot imagine being retired and all those things. And, uh-huh. uh, yeah, that can become a block. The next gen are ready to step up and they're saying, well, there's no chance here. It's not going to happen. You start to suffer blockages and yeah, we do have situations where the next generation in the family businesses are in their fifties. Yeah, and you think, wow, sixties even. But they they think forward. What about the generation after that? Absolutely. They're looking at it and saying, blimey, if I don't, you know, if they're not becoming owners, leaders of this business until the late fifties, early sixties, I don't want to hang about. So hey, we're off. Yeah. So, um, yeah, people I think have to be. Uh, very aware of their own needs. I think also we'd spend quite a bit of time doing this trust. Understand the the needs, the fears of the other generation. Stand in their shoes. Try to stand in their shoes just a little and see the world from their perspective. Yeah. And uh, practice empathy. The conversations, I think, will generally go better when people are have that empathetic awareness of what this this must feel like for the others. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I think there's a, an awful lot of um, psychology at, at play as well when it comes to um, things like the, the fear of losing identity or, or losing that that role of head of the family business or e- even head of the family it can be quite a psychological barrier to overcome. Um, and, and not having an understanding uh, that mum or dad might be feeling like that um, can lead to the conversations not going as smoothly as perhaps they could. Absolutely, you know, it's, it's enormous. It's identity, it's social standing, it's sense of self-worth. That's what's at play in these conversations. Mm. But going back to something we talked about just a few moments ago about the information and ideas that are out there, um, these new forms of family business governance that some families are adopting provide opportunities, create roles for people to have a meaningful role in the family business, maybe just not the one they're currently occupying. Mm-hmm. And people cannot, I think most of us, I, I, I feel, would feel better at moving on to something else. 
rather than necessarily having just something taken away from us in terms of a role which represents an income, which represents a status and a reputation. Absolutely. And I think you mentioned there about the the governance structures. Um, for those who may not be familiar with what we mean by governance, could you just give a, a brief overview of, of what you mean by, by that? Sure, it's, it's a very um, straightforward description, but for us it means somehow finding a way to balance the competing interests of the business, the current owners and the wider family, all of whom have a stake in this thing we call the family business. Uh-huh. And uh, families crave the achieving a balance of interest or equilibrium among those uh, competing and, le- and legitimate interests in their family business. That, that's all it is. Okay. Well, that's all it is, but yeah. that's quite a big challenge, <laughs> but that's what governance is all about. Yeah. It's, uh, it's actually, at its heart, quite simple, but very uh, challenging. Uh, indeed. And so, so would a good starting point for businesses looking at their um, succession side of things, would a good starting point be to look at their governance and see what's in place, what they feel should be in place, and then starting from there, or or do you work backwards from what you want the outcome to be from the succession? Well, that's a very interesting question, and I have a very firm view about that. Start by understanding what you've got and why you've been successful in the first place. Mm -hmm. Families... Every family has a functioning governance system. They could not be successful if they did not have a functioning governance system. Mm-hmm. But the families are not always self-consciously aware of what that is. They will say things like, that's just the way we do things around here. Mm-hmm. Well, how is that? And is it something that can be replicated in the next generation? Um, so I think it's better to start from where they are and we're holding a mirror up to why have you been successful in the first place, figuring out if that can be repeated in the future. Mm-hmm. Because I think in family businesses, perhaps it's just in life, what a lot of us are wanting is to create something that's successful by only doing the minimum amount of change that is necessary in order to, to remain being successful. Mm-hmm. So I think starting with what you've got is absolutely uh, the right place to start. It does mean sometimes facing up to the reality that what we have got does not match the demands now of the business, of a, a growing family. Uh, but there will be good stuff in there that has to be preserved and continued because that's what the family are used to, that's their culture, that's the way they see the world. So you cannot uh, be successful in moving families forward in governance, I think unless you start with a proper and humble appreciation of why they've been successful with what they've got already in place. Mm-hmm. And there's an important role for um, advisors to play in that as well, isn't there? That uh, we, we often hear when challenges are faced that there can be a, um, a an off-the-shelf solution, that, that all you need is X and the world will be a happy place. Um, but given the nature of family business, that's not often the case. It, it, it's there's um, other factors in play. I mean, we, we've mentioned in previous podcasts the, the use of the three-circle model to understand the, the roles of people within 
uh, the family and business structure. Uh, it's important for advisors to understand that that's uh, in place as well, isn't it? Well, these are the, the three circles is uh, the three circle model is part of the tools of the family business trade now, and anyone who's working and active in that field, family business advisor, educator, policy maker, has to understand that that is the best representation of the reality of life in a family business. I think um, I wholeheartedly agree with your comments that you know the idea that there could be off-the-shelf solutions sometimes um, described as so-called best practices. Mm-hmm. Um, I just don't, I don't think I really don't think families believe that. They know that they have got to. Um, look at this through the lens that represents their culture, their identity, their history, their traditions and their aspirations for the future. Mm-hmm. And that shapes their reality. And it will be the way it has to be in order to serve that family and to achieve their version of success. I think for the advisory community that I am uh, proud to be a part of, that means that we do have to be content experts. We have to be bang up to date with the latest thinking in this field. Mm-hmm. But we feel that our role is then to be the facilitator uh, and an independent voice in those discussions yeah. that can help the family and whoever's taking part in looking at this sense of what is our future governance, that we can help all of them individually and as a group um, have an honest, candid and well-informed discussion. But we're not there to dictate the outcome. We're not there with a product or a so-called best practice. It's uh-huh. the process that will drive the result for a particular family. Um, and, that, and that's what makes it really exciting. I think a very creative space for advisors to be in. Absolutely. I, I completely agree. Um, so, so if we move on to looking at the options that are available to family businesses when it comes to succession, this, this potentially could um, be a, a podcast in itself rather than, than necessarily a question within one. But, but in terms of the options that are available to family businesses, it, do you feel it's important to, to separate ownership and, and management succession, for an example? So, so it, it doesn't have to be a black and white. You reach, uh, if we take the example of an employee within a, uh, an organisation, they get to their retirement age, they get the carriage clock and, and off they go into retirement. Um, if that's a perception of, of what a succession plan would look like for a family business, I can understand why that would be um, something that would be feared. Um, so it, it can be a separate discussion around ownership and management. Yeah, I think, well, I think the, um, the conversation will have to consider what are our best options for future ownership and what are our best options for future leadership. Mm-hmm. And the, for some families, that, that combination, that link between the two is very important. They, have, they just cannot think of being a family business unless there's a family member in charge. And they will have to figure out if there is somebody of sufficient talent in their gene pool that can take on the responsibility of leadership for a growing and presumably more complex business. Uh Um, Or they have to make the compromises that if they are aware that maybe they don't have the most talented candidate from within their family, that they, if they still want to have a family member, 
then they're making a compromise in terms of the peace of mind they have with having a family member in charge and uh, maybe arguably a better return if they got a mortality outsider. But that's just the way those families are, and I don't think we should, um, you know, in any way suggest that that isn't a, 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 a good form of governance. Mm-hmm. Family hands-on in control, everyone else can trust that person, there you go, that's a functioning governance system. Yeah. Some families, however, are now looking at that and saying, well, we want to look at this from a different perspective. We think we should be family-owned, but not necessarily family-run. Mm-hmm. We can have family presence and effective and overseeing and monitoring those who run the business, and we want those to be the most talented people we can find whether they are our relatives or they are outsiders. And that just brings up a whole number of other issues around governance and the balance of power between owners and uh, leaders mm-hmm. that wouldn't necessarily arise if the business can somehow continue to be owner-managed. And I mean, you, you really could expand this into a subject on its own because yeah. what each, each firm then has to do is say, well, we do have our biases, we do have our preferences, we now need to look at these in some you know, detail and with some kind of independence of mind to make sure that the choices that we're making, we've worked out the pros and the cons. Mm. And uh, we are confident that this is a successful way to continue governing our family business. Yeah. And we, we've come across examples where um, non-family members have been brought into leadership roles and haven't necessarily been able to survive particularly long because the, the sort of comment that comes back from, from the family side is, well, they just didn't get it. Um, and um, I wonder if that's something that is um, more common than, than perhaps we think or, or not so. Well, I think it is, but, you know, what is it? Mm. And I think it is for the family to very clearly articulate the standards that they will use to measure success. Yes. Because, and then they hire somebody that understands and respects it, um, it being this combination of financial and other returns and investment the family are looking to achieve through being in business together. Mm-hmm. Uh, if the family don't do that, then an outsider is really up against it because they're going to have to make some assumptions about what it is. And they'll be lucky if they can you know, intuitively understand this uh, set of objectives that the family would have in relation to their business. Mm. Uh, For example, if the family have a multi-generational investment horizon and are all about traditional legacy and stewardship and all those things, and they don't make it clear to an outsider that's coming in to run the business who then makes an assumption that what they want to do is maximise short-term profits, which is a perfectly reasonable assumption for running a business. Uh Well, they're not going to go on, are they? But the problem is not not just the individual, you know, the outsider not getting it. It's the family not articulating and describing what it is Mm. and using that as a standard against which to measure the candidates that they are thinking about bringing in to help run their business. Yeah, and and the importance, we we mentioned um, the the sort of empathy side of things um, earlier on. It's important that both sides in in that um, equation understand uh, where the other person may be coming from. Um, and if that's, that person has come from, say, a traditional non-family business that, that is focused on sort of short-term um, targets and uh, business plans, that, that it, it's like the family understanding that they're coming into a different world and, and they're, they're moving into something that perhaps has a longer-term view. 
Yeah, and understanding the constraints that that might put on them and understanding the advantages that it could confer on them. Advantages such as a long-term investment horizon and investors being willing to defer short-term gains in the interest of building long-term value, thereby giving the management a lower cost of capital. Uh-huh. It should be a good world for some people to work in, but there has to be a fit between the you know, values and aspirations of outside management and the values and aspirations of the family. I think the leadership in that discussion has to come from the family. Yeah. Again, I completely agree on that. Um, so, so if we look at um, the kind of uh, the, the detail around a succession, if there, and we're looking at ownership succession in, in this scenario, if there's a, a family business that's primarily owned by the, the f- let's say, first generation, and they're looking to pass that on to the next generation, what mechanisms are they able to utilise in order to, to do that? Or are there perhaps too many to cover? Gosh, I think there are probably too many to cover, but picking up on just what we've been talking about, the family articulating what it is, and the comments earlier about um, it being important to have a process, you know, this, your question there, versus bears out both of these points. Mm. And, um, I think a good place for the family to start the conversation without, you know, just diving into content of, you know, good old governance structures and practices yeah. is, is the family to step back and say, why do we want to be in business with each other? Mm-hmm. You know, what is it all about? Uh, and then do we have sufficient consensus among us as a family to want to continue being in business together? And what are the standards that we will use to measure success? Um, and then that is, you know, uh, clear. The family can move the discussion on to things and other things that you've been asking about. Um, what is our role as owners, and what role might we have in management or leadership? And are, are these uh, a package, or can they be separated? And if they're separated, what are the structures and uh, policies that we may need to introduce to governance? Uh, to give us sufficient comfort around the balance of power and interest between the owners and uh, the the board. Mm. But we wouldn't maybe need if we had our family members in there running it on the basis that we can trust them to look after everyone's interest. So I think you have to you know, unpack the conversations in a way that is comprehensive, that has a logic to it that helps the family see their way through all the different interests that they are trying to to balance, mm. uh, and in a new in a nuclear family, first generation, that can be quite intense. It, you know, there's a lot at stake. In a larger family, it can be maybe less intense but more complex because there's a lot of different stakeholders. Yeah. So in both cases, the process brings a level of objectivity, uh, thoroughness. Uh, thoughtfulness to it, and maybe also a certain calmness, because people can see how this conversation is unfolding, and uh-huh. the, 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 they know that their stuff will be, you know, the thing that matters to them will be addressed, but it will come up in 
uh, in an orderly manner. Yeah, and it's a way of managing expectation uh, across the generations as well, isn't it? Because if if there's certain expectations from from one generation and that doesn't match the the expectations of the next. Um, that, that's a potential for conflict, but by having these conversations and, and being open and honest with each other about it, you, you can start to manage those and make sure everybody's on the same page from outset rather than getting six months away from yeah I think I think in that in that regard it is in those expectations or assumptions or understandings that have built up as they do in families it's just something that happens and mm. um, so people may enter upon these discussions with a sense of what is for them the most desirable outcome but I think it's realistic for people to be reminded that along the way they may have to make compromises and trade-offs because maybe their assumptions and expectations don't match those of their nearest and dearest or Mm -hmm. their wider relatives so we are dealing in some you know with a a set of um, matters content that is complex and uh, the art of compromise and trade-offs will probably be necessary at some stage. I think that's why it's important for families to be very careful and thoughtful about it so that those compromises they're willing to make, not just to keep someone else happy, but willing to make in a way that they can live with that for the rest of their lives, because that's what's at stake here. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I guess, again, this is something we've touched on in previous episodes, but but I think it's worth pointing out here as well it's creating the environments in which to have these discussions uh, as well and perhaps they're not best to be had uh, you know just just on a whim uh, as a as part of the working day but but to actually set aside time to do that and, and to possibly look at a facilitator or external advisor to to help um, move things along and, and make sure an agenda is drawn up yeah, I think I will obviously, I mean, this is what we do as, mm. as our profession now. We, we facilitate these discussions. We provide a lot of the things that we've been talking about here. But I would also respect the privacy of families. Uh, some have a do-it-yourself mentality. Uh, and we want to support those families as much as we can through giving them access to ideas, information and content. Mm-hmm. And if they want to try and do it without having a, 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 an independent facilitator who they might describe as a stranger mm-hmm. as part of that discussion, then yeah, just try and have a better quality of discussion by learning some of the stuff that's out there um, and going to reliable sources to get in to get information about what other families are doing in different parts of the world about this type of stuff. Yeah, and what sort of places can people go to to, to find that information? Well, uh, there are organisations that are very active and they're developing their own thought leadership. I would include us among them. A uh, good, good place to go. Uh, there are some business schools that have uh, invested more in this than others. There are some organizations like the Institute for Family Business, which are networks of families who are learning together and uh, sharing their experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's international groups and uh, be, you know, beyond that. It's, it's probably, you know, given the size of the family business economy in the United Kingdom and in most other developed countries, that's a relatively small group, but it's a robust group. So um, that will share information and share ideas and share 
uh, knowledge as to who's active in this field. So I would really recommend families to go to those groups uh-huh. and uh, start asking questions. And I'm sure, I'd like to think that I feel fairly confident that they will find them, they're talking to people that are open and uh, wanting to be helpful and wanting to share information, like you're doing here in this kind of podcast. Uh-huh. A great, uh, just one example of, I think, the spirit that's around our field at the moment. Yeah, I agree. And, and um, obviously, as part of um, what we do for, on a day-to-day basis, I'm constantly looking for, for resources for um, family business ideas and concepts. And it does seem to be something where there is a, a bit more momentum now than perhaps there has been. Um, and I think that's helped by technology and the fact that you know, we're more connected than, than we have been. Um, historically uh, and I will put in the show notes to, to this show some links to um, some of the websites so you, you mentioned the Institute for Family Business um, there's also the FFI isn't there the Family Firms uh, Institute that, that have some good that's right yeah good, good for leadership stuff on um, Family Business Network worldwide uh, mm-hmm. yeah I mean there's there's, uh, there's good stuff out there um, that uh, advises as well because you know, this this is changing the role of the traditional professions in relation to this kind of client. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't think families find it credible any longer just to be told, yes, we've been around this place for a long time and worked yeah. for a lot of families. Uh-huh. They're, they're becoming educated about the latest ideas and thinking, and it's not unreasonable for them to expect their advisors from the different professions to be at least up to speed with their clients. Yeah, again, I, I completely agree on, on that front. Um, uh, I'd like to go back to something we mentioned um, a, li- a little bit earlier on and, and just dig a little deeper into that, if, if that's okay. And that's this, um, the fear of letting go and the, the loss of identity um, that is often felt when uh, a business owner passes on either ownership or, or leadership of that business. Um, presumably, is that something you come across on a regular basis? Well, we're sensitive about the fact that that's what we're dealing with, and the, just to you know, not just within the the business itself, but their status in society, and maybe some of the other roles that they have mm. are linked to their status as being this you know business owner, business leader, or whatever. So when you're talking about them moving on, for example, it has ripple effects that could affect all manner of other areas of their lives. And mm-hmm. I think one has to be aware of that and be quite sensitive to it. Yeah. And so, again, is it is it a case of being, um, for, for business owners that may feel that way, is it a case of being open and honest and admitting that that is a fear? Um, I can imagine it's not something that, that necessarily comes to mind straight away when you're looking at um reasons why people are putting off succession planning is, uh, you know, my, my standing well, in the community is going to be affected, but it, it's almost undoubtedly, undoubtedly there. I think the, uh, I think you know, we, well, I, I can only say, Russ, sorry, we go about this, but, you know, we would do our diligence just to try and understand the network of relationships and contacts that we are, being invited to enter when you go to work with a family business uh-huh. and to understand the adult development and human uh, consequences of the changes that may become necessary so that you can 
and empathise with what people are going through and try and guide and facilitate the discussions to help them come to terms with that. Mm. Now, um, I think earlier in our conversation we referred to the psychology of it and I think anyone who's working in this field has to get some understanding of these issues. That's the forces that you are dealing with when mm-hmm. you do this type of work. Um, in some cases, you know, these relationships that are part of all of this may need a therapeutic intervention to help them with. That's not what we do, but I, I know there are people there out, out in, the, in, in the family business field that do that. But I think just, yeah, being aware of the, you know, the sensitivities around it, I think is in, it is incumbent on advisors to take the effort to understand these things and to conduct their business in a way that shows an appreciation of it. Mm-hmm. I would certainly, well, certainly the people we work with, that's what they would experience. I would not feel comfortable about us giving, you know, an information to somebody in, well, you've just got to deal with it. I just don't yeah. think that's good enough. I just don't, <laughs> I, th- I think that would be quite rude uh, and patronising to yes. people who, who remember we're dealing with people that have been successful people. Uh-huh. So we, we we can't just expect them to do it because gosh, we've wandered in and somehow told them that that's a good idea. Yeah, so I think an empathy and understanding knowledge around this whole area and the effect it has on people's lives is just part of the responsibility which advisors have to be willing to undertake in this particular area of work. Yeah, and I think it's something for for perhaps the, the future generations within the families to make sure that they understand as well is that that role and status that their, their relatives have, have built up has been as a result of their own hard work and, and the success of the business and, and not to be taken lightly when considering things like succession. And that can be quite appealing for somebody yeah. in the next generation to get that status. And, and it's almost a challenge to, to, to gain that level of um, respect and um, and status within the, either the business community or local community. Um, and again, there's conflicting kind of um, aspirations at, at play there. Well, it, it, I, I can understand that, but there's a multiplicity of roles often within these families, and people have different feelings and towards the role that they have ended up in, or that they might be being invited to take on. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in inheriting ownership, how does that feel? Is that invariably a good thing? Uh, being a beneficiary of a trust, how does that feel? Mm-hmm. Um, having responsibility as a director and or trustee of the trust that owns shares, how does that feel? So it's, it, there are different, many different roles, uh, potentially, in a family business, and we shouldn't just treat them as kind of legal constructs or just ignore the human and emotional dimension that could be part and parcel of the people that are in those roles are those who have been possibly being invited to do that. Mm, absolutely. Um, and and, and, and be, take, be willing to take the time and just go there, not make assumptions as an advisor, not have biases or prejudices about these things as mm-hmm. an advisor. I think it's important because it's not really what I think or any other advisor thinks about these things that matters. It's what the family thinks. Yeah. And therefore, we need to have a certain humility around their thoughts and views and we're not there to judge them or in any way about these things we're just there to help them yeah absolutely and appreciate what it feels like for them 
when they're going through these transitions. Uh, and we often hear that, that um, family businesses feel alone in, in that respect because they're the only one with their family, um, for example. Um, yeah. But resources like the, the IFB and, and the ones we've already spoken about will highlight the fact that although the names and faces might be different and, and some of the nuances might be different, there are common feelings within family organisations, um, particularly around succession, that, that can be addressed and, and can be overcome. Um, through the um, sort of tr- the, the transition and succession planning process, assuming yeah, that that's dealt with I, correctly. Yeah, and that's something we talked about. But I think at the outset, look, there's good stuff out there now. Families, you know, people are gaining experience. Families and advisors, educators, researchers. So we can say these are the generic type of issues that families will face. Well, that's helpful. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, just to see it, you know, so clearly expressed. Here are some of the great ideas other families or others have uh, used in order to deal with those issues. However, it's still up to your family to face up to the challenge of doing the work to figure out what will work for you and what will be successful for your mm-hmm. family in the future. But, you know, when I started 20-odd years ago, those issues were not so clearly articulated. The range of options was far fewer. Uh So families that are serious about, you know, wanting multi-generational success, uh, there's good news out there. There's a heck of a lot more now than there was 20 years ago. Yeah. And as I say, it's growing as well now, isn't it, as a... Oh, absolutely. Kind of an, yeah. an area yeah. that, that people are really taking an interest in. So um, that, that should only continue um, with any luck. I hope so. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that the important thing with um, things like succession planning is to understand it's a process rather than a transaction. It's not something where you're going to go into a room for an hour, come out and have a solution. Um, it's something that's going to take weeks, months, years to, to firstly communicate, articulate, and, and then start to, to put in place. Um, and it's not something that necessarily has to take over from running that successful business. Oh, I, I think it's a very good point. I think the, the, the challenge is, also, is, is often that people are trying to continue in ownership and leadership of this successful business, which is demanding their time, and then step aside and say, we have this other uh, set of issues that we need to deal with because we're a family and business together. It's mm-hmm. very easy and understandable for them to say, well, the business is too demanding. Uh, at the moment, we'll get round to it. Yeah. Um, so I think, uh, yeah, the families have to decide how to allocate that most valuable of resources uh, time mm-hmm. to to be able to deal with these things. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Um, d- just before we um, um, finish the, the interview for today, um, th- this again might be a, a question that's not, not possible to answer, but in terms of a, a single tip that you would provide to families in business when considering succession planning, is there one thing that you would suggest over anything else as a starting point? Um, I'm very tempted to take you, up, take you up in the hint that this is a question that's very difficult to answer, <laughs> but I'll, I'll, I'll give it a go. I may have said this earlier. Um, I think the most uh, profound uh, discussion that will shape and determine the future is why do you want to continue uh-huh. I think for some families it's like it's instinctive it's there it's the glue that binds them together is strong and they share this uh, the, the same ambitions and aspirations for the future 
trades? Well, just make it clear so that, for example, as you asked earlier, if you hire an outsider, you can tell them too. Mm-hmm. Just don't make don't don't make the assumption that they'll get it. And if you want to, you can share this with your employees and customers and whoever. For other families, that's a tough question, mm. and it needs some thought and reflection. And uh, but I think if the if a family have a clear shared purpose, then they can uh, look forward to the future because they're going there together with that mm-hmm. same sense of purpose. If they don't, um, I suppose I've now been around long enough to learn that if they don't, then well, structures and governance and all that good stuff will perhaps hold them together for a while. It's just masking the fatal fall of them. Yeah. And if they don't have a reason for wanting to continue being in business together, then the work that they have to uh, undertake is perhaps more about how do we separate our interests uh-huh. at the best economic cost and the lowest emotional cost, uh-huh. rather than how do we go forward and bind ourselves together into a life that we don't really want to have. Yeah. So my so long answer, but the simple version of it would be always start with why do we want to continue? Uh-huh. Brilliant. Um, that, that's been... Um, really, really useful, um, um, particularly for, for well, uh, our thank audience. Thank you for I'm inviting sure. me to, to talk about what we're passionate about. That's no no problem at all. Always a pleasure. Uh, and where can our audience find out more about you? Um, go, well, as ever, go to our website. Uh, the KPMG website will have information about family businesses. Uh-huh. Uh, you can make contact through our website you can make contact directly with me if anyone's interested in learning more uh, we certainly have a lot of information to share and we have people across the length and breadth of the UK who are involved in this work so there's also people uh, locally that can uh, talk to families who are interested in learning more Excellent, okay and we'll put a, a link in there again in the show notes um, to um, the website, and uh, are you happy for me to put the LinkedIn profile up there as well? Uh, yeah, yeah, that, that, that'd that be good of you, uh, Ross. Thank you very much. Excellent, we'll put it on there. Uh, and once again, thank you very much for your time and uh, your your insights today. It's been, been fantastic. Thank you. Well, it's been enjoyable, and thank you again for inviting us to do this. That's it for this week. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you'd like to leave us a review, please feel free to do so on iTunes. If you want to get in touch, you can find out more information at www.fanbizpodcast.com. We'll see you again soon.